Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. The satire newspaper, The Onion, recently published a fake interview with a fake woman entitled, Woman Takes Short Half-Hour Break from Being Feminist to Enjoy TV Show. Natalie Jenkins, who again is not a real person, is quoted as saying, Honestly, it's pretty exhausting to call out every sexist stereotype or instance of misogyny in popular culture, so sometimes I just have to throw my hands up and grant myself a little time off to watch Say Yes to the Dress. And given the state of modern media, momentarily suspending my feminist ideals is the only way to get through a night of TV without becoming totally livid or discouraged. Do any of you feel that way sometimes? You're having a good time doing something normal, and suddenly, as Unitarian poet E.E. Cummings wrote, the eyes of your eyes and the ears of your ears are opened, and you see that the culture around us is pummeling us with regressive and destructive social and theological ideas. The cult of consumerism, the lack of immigration reform, stand your ground. It's extremely disconcerting. This happens to me all the time. Sometimes it feels like it would be easier to go about my day if I could take a break from being a member of the progressive faithful. And because I did indeed attend eight weddings last year, I had many opportunities to wish such a break was possible. (laughs) But The Onion is a fake newspaper, and it can be hard, if not impossible, to turn off your values even for just half an hour. So during wedding season 2013, I heard a lot of folks both ministers and lay people alike, offer some very iffy theology about romantic relationships. Plus, because I'm the religious one out of my friends, I even get the second-hand accounts of such iffy theology. A new text message. Katie, do you know what Ephesians is? I just heard it in a wedding, and I think you would hate it. I had occasion to hear some, in the beginning God made man and woman to be married to each other as part of perfected creation, which is kind of just a dressed up way of saying it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And I heard some, in a marriage, the relationship between man and woman, again, is like the relationship between God and the church, so that the man is God? You can imagine the kind of look I gave my spouse after comments like that. No way. No way. I see you out there. No way. (laughs) I once, with great distress in my heart, complained to my father about such proclamations. 
I was having all these feelings of failure that as a fledgling minister, I should have taken a cue from Jesus and started overturning the furniture in the middle of these wedding ceremonies. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of destructive theology of heterosexism and gender essentialism. Crash, there goes a table. I'm pretty sure that's how it happens in the Gospels, right? It's just so awful, I told my father. So degrading to same-sex couples and to women and to folks with non-binary genders. And my father said to me, why were you listening to the preacher? <laughs> no, the irony is not lost on me. <laughs> In the months since wedding season 2013, I realized that I had fallen into what I think is a common Unitarian Universalist trap. And in fact, it does have to do with listening to the preacher. Unitarian Universalists are encouraged to listen and to think and to discuss ideas of importance. We know that holy revelation is not sealed and that new spiritual experiences can help us live more compassionate, just lives, especially when we share our thoughts and prayers with one another in community. But because we're encouraged to critique and dissect, we Unitarian Universalists are less accomplished at building up and presenting new ways of being. It's like we're saying, Happy Valentine's Day. Here's how everything you know about relationships is bad and wrong. Now go forth and good luck in blazing a new path. Let us know how it goes so we can critique it again. Many people want their wedding ceremonies to be rooted in spirituality, and all they find is tradition. If we throw over the tables of old language, old, rit old rituals, and old theology of relationships, what do we Unitarian Universalists offer them instead? For the final Sunday of 30 Days of Love, the Standing on the Side of Love campaign has asked us to celebrate our hard work toward justice and equity in the world. Fortunately, for decades, our faith has been offering a new way to be in relationship with our closest partners, and that's something we can celebrate this morning. Since 1970, the Unitarian Universalist Association has offered curricula for church sex ed classes. It used to be called About Your Sexuality. Do we have any alums from that program here this morning? I see there's a couple folks here who did About Your Sexuality, AYS. And now the new program, the updated program, is called Our Whole Lives. It was a great blessing for me during wedding season 2013 to also be co-facilitating the Our Whole Lives class for preteens from many congregations, including our own. I'm thankful that Our Whole Lives, or OWL for short, teaches our faith's positive values about relationships of all sorts, romantic, familial, and friendly. What's really exciting about OWL is that there are courses for all ages. There's one for kindergartners and first graders, fourth and fifth graders, seventh through ninth graders, 10th through 12th graders, young adults, and adults. However, as far as I'm aware, there's no current plan for Arlington Street to offer the young adult and adult courses. 
So I want to share with you what I've learned from the OWL program. I have only taught the seventh through ninth grade course, so we'll have to extrapolate from there. Here are the basic elements of a healthy relationship as described by that curriculum. There are seven parts, so do your best to stay with me. One, healthy relationships are consensual and based on mutual expectations. All parties consent to the definitions and activities of the relationship. Two, healthy relationships are non-exploit, I'm gonna struggle with this, are non-exploitative. All parties are equal in terms of power and influence. No one is God, unless that's part of the mutual expectations. Three, healthy relationships are as safe as possible, with no or lowered risk of unintended pregnancy, sexually transmitted diseases, and emotional pain. Four, healthy relationships are developmentally appropriate, based on both age and maturity. I'm sure all of us have had experience that age and maturity are not always causally linked. Five, healthy relationships are respectful and honest, including in regard to commitments made to others. Six, healthy relationships are caring and mutually pleasurable. All parties feel cared for and receive pleasure. It's very ooh-la-la. But before you get too excited or concerned about how saucy the seventh through ninth grade OWL curriculum is, here's number seven. Sexual intercourse is one of the many valid ways of expressing sexual feelings with a partner. It is healthier for young adolescents to postpone sexual intercourse. The Our Whole Lives curriculum is sometimes comically technical. But can you see how most of this applies to most close relationships? Let's review those basic elements again. Consensual with mutual expectations, non-exploitative, safe, developmentally appropriate, respectful and honest, caring and mutually pleasurable. Throwing over the tables of the old language, the old rituals, the old theology of relationships, this is what Unitarian Universalism offers as an alternative way of being together. One of, the, uh, one of Owl's biggest breaks from the traditional relationship advice and expectations is that it gives us a lot of room for personalization. There aren't hard and fast rules that apply to every relationship we may have. The relationships we have with our partners, our parents, our coworkers, our best friends, our roommates, are all different because there are different people involved. And most of the time, different mutual expectations. There's space for making personal covenants with one another. To quote Unitarian Universalist minister Barbara Hamilton Holloway, our faith's recommendations for healthy relationships require us to deeply regard each other, truly listen to each other, speak what each must speak, be ready to disarm our own hearts, and rejoice in the love we have begun. This may sound like more work to make up the rules together, but it certainly means we can be truer 
to ourselves. And that's something else special about this OWL framework. It recognizes that each of us is an individual with particular likes, dislikes, and needs. What is healthy depends on what each of us needs to be healthy. If we hope to have a loving relationship with any other person, we have to start by truly knowing and loving ourselves. The command to love your neighbor as yourself appears in many places in the Bible. One finds it in Leviticus, a rule book more commonly known for banning specific types of meat and explaining which of our bodily functions will make us ritually unclean. It's a quote attributed to the go- in the Gospels to Jesus, who is then quoted in the few of the epistles. It's such a powerful notion that it ended up as our fourth Unitarian Universalist source. Jewish and Christian teachings which call on us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbor as ourself. This commandment to love your neighbor as yourself can't work if we don't love ourselves first. If we don't truly love ourselves, what kind of love will we offer to others? Knowing and loving ourselves help us, helps us understand important questions in our relationships. What do we expect? What are our truths? What feels safe to us? What feels fun and pleasurable to us? Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh writes, practice love on yourself. When you succeed, loving another person becomes very natural. Your love will be like a lamp that shines. It will make many, many people happy. When you practice the qualities of true love, your love is healing and transformative, and it has the element of holiness. After we've made some progress really knowing and loving ourselves, ridding ourselves of shame and clarifying our sense of what we need and can give to others, we can start extending that love outwards beginning with those closest to us, those partners and family members, roommates and friends, perhaps even to our fellow church members. It's no surprise that the people we can see, that that we see the most of are our closest neighbors and that we can practice loving kindness with them the most often. In an interview with mythologist Joseph Campbell, journalist Bill Moyers said, The Puritans called marriage the little church within the church. In marriage, every day you love and every day you forgive. It is an ongoing sacrament, love and forgiveness. Have you ever found that when you're mad at someone close to you, you're more likely to be mad at the whole world? When you're having a fight with someone close with you, you're more likely to cry or shout elsewhere When you're able to love and forgive someone close to you, you feel more calm, at peace. There's no relationship that won't, at some point, fall on hard times. There's no way to prevent every disagreement, economic hardship, injury, sickness, death. But by practicing love for ourselves and these aspects of a healthy relationship, We create relationships that can become a strong force for love out in the world. Here's Thich Nhat Hanh again. 
In a relationship in which you and your partner share the same kind of aspirations, then you become one, and together you can become an instrument for love and peace. This can apply to partnerships and communities. Thich Nhat Hanh writes that the reason the Buddha established the Sangha, the community of practice, was exactly because together, loving each other within consensual, respectful, safe relationships, we can change the world. Let me share with you one last reading about marriage from Jesuit theologian Elaine Matthews. It's a highlight from wedding season 2013. Living the gift of marriage is a path of salvation and sanctification for the couple. The daily life of the family, the conjugal relationship, the effort to sustain the home, ensure its security and enhance its living conditions, as well as the interactions with civil society, are the most common situations in which the couple has to sanctify themselves and to be a sacramental sign of the charity of God. Every moment of life together is a moment of grace, of a possible union with God under the gaze of the partner and with their help. Indeed, each one now has to live not only for oneself, but for others. The partner is the true neighbor received from God. This gift is a call. Be part of the partner's fulfillment of their spiritual journey and their growth in sanctity. To grow in the gift of marriage is to grow in the love of God. Every moment of life together is a moment of grace. Every moment we have together is a moment of opportunity to grow in love. It takes consent, equality, safety, respect, honesty, caring, and pleasure. May we take courage and live into our ideals, maybe even when we're watching say yes to the dress. May we blaze a new path for what it means to be in right relation with one another. May we love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and may we love ourselves as we love our neighbors. Blessed be, and amen.